Well, congratulations. You've made it through to the last lesson in our series on Living Lessons, where we've been looking at some of the characters of the Bible. And I hope by now it's become abundantly clear that their lives, even though they're happening way in our past, are just as relevant to the life in which we live and the culture in which we find ourselves as it was in their time. There are timeless challenges and timeless truths in the scripture. In this last lesson, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah is an easy book to miss. It's very short. In fact, I would argue that there's probably never in the history of any literature been a short story quite as short as Jonah that has been talked about for over 2,000 years. It's just brilliantly written. It's a brilliant occurrence, and it's got some unbelievable lessons for us. The book of Jonah. As you're turning there, let me set the stage for you. Jonah lived in the early part of the 8th century BC, so in the 790 to 750 BC period. The great empire at that time was to the north of Israel, the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were probably a great way to think about them as I teach this because the Islamic State is currently threatening a large part of the Middle East and they're known for their really murderous and bloodthirsty tactics and uh, the killings and so forth. Think of the Islamic State on steroids and you have the Assyrian Empire. They were absolutely brutal and it was very effective. They were very intimidating and they built a very large uh, empire predominantly by intimidating other nations. Now they were very powerful militarily, but what they would do, for example, and this is very gruesome, but this is what the archeological record shows. I mean, there are carvings of descriptions and showing pictures of them impaling entire groups of people on, on uh, spears and flaying people alive and coming into a town and conquering it and just cutting everybody's left hand off just brutal things that they would do. And so the Assyrians were feared and hated, particularly by Israel. In fact, in 722 BC, a little bit after this time period, the uh, northern kingdom of Israel, called Israel, not Judah and Jerusalem, that northern kingdom is gonna be destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. They're gonna disband the Jews and scatter them and the 10 lost tribes of Israel are lost in 722 when the Assyrians scatter them across the world. So Jonah, being an Israelite, before that happens, still has this fear and this hatred of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah was born in a town really close to Nazareth, by the way, so from the Galilee area. And in fact, Jesus refers to Jonah in the book of Matthew chapter 12 where he's talking about, they're asking him for a sign that he really is divine and he says the only sign you're gonna get is the one of Jonah. Just like Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth, so to speak, and out of that will come a great sign to you. And so Jesus refers to Jonah. You see Jonah referred to in the book of Kings as one of the prophets that lived in this time period. Of course, many people have a hard time with this book because of this being swallowed by a great fish. I mean, we usually say whale, but the text just says a great fish. And that, well, that just means this must be a mythical story. My point to you is simply this. The history of it, the things it talks about, 
Jesus referring to it, the archaeology of the time, all would provide evidence that this very likely happened in this time period exactly as it says. In fact, you're going to see in here that the Assyrian nation and the king actually repent. And there are records in the Assyrian annals, not of this specific incident, but of national repentance very much like this. So there's a lot of evidence around this that says, you know what, this is entirely likely and I would argue certain that this actually happened. But let's move on to the story itself. And I'm just going to tell you the story briefly because you can read this for yourself. It's very short and many of you are familiar with this story. But let me just give you the story in a nutshell and get to some of the things I'd like us to begin to discuss and wrestle with. Because I think Jonah encounters some things that we also encounter. I think our reaction and relation to some aspects of our culture, we can learn a lot from Jonah. This book, by the way, is unlike any other prophetic book in that it's less about the message of the prophet and more about the prophet himself. In fact, our story opens in chapter 1, verse 2. God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to rise up and go to Nineveh and I want you to call out against it. In other words, I want, to, I want you to get their attention and tell them they're in trouble. For their evil has come up before me. But instead, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, you have a map on your handout and you'll notice that if you look where Israel is, if you would go north and east over land a long way, you would get to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah goes down to the coast and the word Tarshish means open sea in Hebrew. So we don't know exactly where he's going, but we do know this. He's going exactly the opposite direction of Nineveh. He gets on the boat and he sails out to sea. He's running away. He doesn't want to go do what God is calling him to do. You remember the story? There's a great storm that comes up and the sailors are all afraid and they find Jonah asleep and they go, wake up and pray to your God. Somebody's God is really upset and we better all pray to our gods and see which one it is and what do we need to do so you'll stop this storm because we're all going to die. Jonah says, well, I can just tell you right now, it's me and it's my God. He says to them, uh, my God is the Lord, the God of heaven, this is in verse 9, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, then they were very afraid. This powerful God of yours, what have you done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And he says, listen, if you'll throw me overboard, get the idea of Jonah as just kind of a, he may have just been a little clinically depressed. I'm not sure. He says, look, just throw me overboard. This will all be fine. I die. You guys live. They go, no, no, we don't want to do that. And so they continue to try to save the ship. And it's clear that they're all about to die. And Jonah says, seriously, it's okay. I'm the problem. Throw me overboard. And so they finally do. They pray to God and they say, please don't hold this against us. Toss him overboard. And immediately the storm stops. Well, it says God appointed uh, a great fish to come and swoop up Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days. Chapter 2 is this beautiful poem that he speaks out of the belly of the fish, this beautiful prayer that he gives. Well, after the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, he spits him out on the shore after three days and then God speaks to him again and guess what he says? I'd like for you to get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to call out against them the message that I'm going to tell you. Well, this time he does. He goes to Nineveh and he begins to preach and says to them that uh, he told them in 40 days, if you don't turn around, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. In other words, you need to repent or else you've incurred the wrath of God because of your evil deeds. 
And then in, ch in chapter 3, it says, verse uh, 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. It goes on to say the king got up and made an edict and said, we're all going to turn from the evil of our hands and maybe God will relent. And so it says at the end of chapter 3, and God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, and so he did not destroy them. Well, chapter 4 says, but this displeased Jonah greatly. Well, let me pause for just a second and give you a couple of interesting things about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah foreshadows some things that Jesus is going to talk about. And one of these is the idea of common grace. And that's the idea that even though people in the world don't all believe in God, God still provides some measure of grace. Do you remember when Jesus said, the Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? There's a measure of God's grace a measure of God's caring about people that doesn't matter if they're His people or not, they're believers or not, they're Jews in this case, or they're Assyrians. God's care and concern extends in a certain extent to everyone in the world. There's also a foreshadowing of this idea of a new covenant. Kind of you see the first hint here that Jonah and the Jews, even though they're chosen by God for a special task, that God actually has a plan and he cares about everyone else too. And with Jesus, you'll see this new covenant. And you'll see everyone be invited in, not just a certain group of people. And then finally, you see in this a foreshadowing of Jesus' teaching to love our enemies. Because there's no question the Assyrians were evil people. No question that Jonah hated them. They were his enemies. In fact, they will end up destroying Israel in just a few years. Nevertheless, it foreshadows this idea that we as God's people are called not to hate our enemies, but like Jonah, go warn them that if they continue on this path, they will be destroyed. In other words, God cares about everyone and he's willing to give everyone this message of to come to him, to repent, to turn from their evil ways. That brings up an interesting question and one that you'll discuss in your time together is for us then, what are some lessons we can learn out of this? Practically speaking, practically speaking, what does it mean to love our enemies? On the one hand, it doesn't mean to have a warm feeling. It would have been unreasonable to ask anyone to say, Jonah, you've seen all the, the terrible things they've done. I'd like you just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the Assyrians. Well, that's not what God asks him to do. But he does ask him to do something caring toward his enemies. And I think we can take that and translate it because sometimes, all too often, I'm afraid, we feel like loving our enemies means we're supposed to work up some kind of emotionally positive feeling about them. And I'm not sure that's the lesson of Jonah, but I'll leave that to you to discuss in just a minute. One other lesson. As we go through chapter 4, you see Jonah's reaction is anger. He hates his enemies. And he doesn't like it that God is willing to extend some measure of grace or at least an opportunity for them to repent. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah and he was very angry. And he said, Lord, I knew you were going to do this. I knew that you were gracious and I knew you wouldn't destroy them, but they're evil and they need to be destroyed. And God responds in verse 4 and he says, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry about this? Jonah says, yes, and as a matter of fact, I'm so mad I could die. So he goes up, he sits on a hill overlooking the city, and he goes, listen, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and destroy them, or I'm just going to sit here and die, so there. So Jonah has a big tantrum, right? While he's sitting there, 
God really puts an interesting twist on this story. It says, while he was sitting there, he'd made a little bit of a shelter, but it's very hot. And so God caused a plant to grow up and give him shade. And it said that while he was very angry about the city, it said Jonah was exceedingly glad about the plant. But then when dawn came, the Lord sent this worm. He ate it, the plant goes away, and then Jonah thought, oh my goodness, now I'm about to die of the heat. And God comes to Jonah and says, listen, you didn't make the plant, but you enjoyed its shade. He said, you didn't do anything to cause this, and yet you're happy when it's there and you're angry when it's not. He says, look at Nineveh. You didn't do anything. You didn't create them. You haven't done anything about them. But why are you angry that I care about them? And so this idea of us being angry you know, towards our enemies and our wanting to put our justice in place of God's is one that I think sometimes gets in the way of our relationship with the world. And then finally, the lesson I think that just most immediately jumps out from Jonah is this. Jonah ran away from what he felt God calling him to do, what he knew God was calling him to do, because he didn't want things to work out the way God did. And so he ran away. He was afraid that God would forgive them. He wanted to see them destroyed. He had a lot of hostility towards them. And so he runs away from God. I don't think we often have that same feeling that we fail to do what we're called to do because we hate those people and we want God to destroy them, so we're not going to tell them about the gospel. But I do think there are times when we feel God calling us to do something and for fear or uncertainty or some other reason, we kind of go the other direction. And I think it's worth thinking about what is it that God's calling us to do that we're actually afraid or we're going the other direction. Well, as you can see, there are a wealth of lessons in the book of Jonah, and I would argue there are a wealth of applicable lessons to us, whether it's how do we deal with our enemies, what lesson can we learn here, or whether it's about this idea of anger, our anger at the world and God's compassion, how do we reconcile those two things? Or finally, how do we identify the things that God's calling us to do and have the courage to go toward it instead of going away from it. Take some time and talk through some of those lessons and hopefully it gives us a better insight on loving our enemies.